we need to fix what's broken in healthcare, and it's it's not the doctor. So when I'm talking with a policymaker, whether it's about Medicare payment or prior auth or scope creep or anything else, I keep coming back to that framing, and and largely they get it. They know physicians have put their lives on the line this last three years. They understand inflation, and and frankly, most of them have been the victims themselves of some out of control prior auth thing from a health plan. So I think it's, it is really helpful to bring our stories. That's AMA President Dr. Jack Resnick. In today's episode of Moving Medicine, we'll hear from Dr. Resnick and Jason Marino, Director of AMA Congressional Affairs, about AMA's advocacy on Capitol Hill and the issues discussed as part of the AMA National Advocacy Conference. At this annual conference, physicians connect with industry experts, political insiders, and members of Congress on current federal efforts to improve health care. There, they can advocate on crucial healthcare issues affecting their patients. Dr. Sandra Freihofer, chair of the AMA Board of Trustees, leads the conversation in this two-part series. Here's Dr. Freihofer. I'm Dr. Sandra Freihofer, AMA Board Chair, and I'll be your host for today's session. We're going to take a closer look at important advocacy issues AMA and others in organized medicine are working on at the federal level and solutions that may be on the horizon. The 2022 Omnibus Bill included some positive developments for physicians, one of which is on telehealth. The bill extends telehealth payment and regulatory flexibilities for two years. It extends the bonus for APMs, alternative payment models, at 3.5%. It also delays the scheduled increase in the revenue threshold. And as a reminder, for the first few years, in order to receive an APM bonus, physicians had to get at least 50% of their revenue from patients enrolled in APMs in order to qualify. That revenue threshold was was supposed to go up to 75% this year, but since no current APMs would qualify, Congress kept the threshold at 50%. For physician mental health, there also is some progress. This new law adds an exception to Stark. Hospitals and other entities are now allowed to provide evidence-based programs to boost physician resiliency in mental health and to help prevent suicide among physicians. The bill also has an additional and welcome benefit for pregnant people covered by Medicaid. The new law provides a permanent option for states to extend Medicaid coverage for 12 months postpartum. But for many, and probably for most physicians, Medicare payment reform is top of the mind as we welcome a new Congress in 2023. AMA was instrumental in spurring Congress to act at the end of 2022. We were able to alleviate more drastic pay cuts scheduled to kick in, but physicians now still face a 2% cut for 2023, delivering yet another financial blow for physicians, especially for independent practices already stretched thin by staffing shortages and high inflation. Physicians continue to bear the brunt of our nation's flawed and unsustainable Medicare payment model. Adjusted for inflation, Medicare physician pay dropped 22% between 2001 and 2021. This downward trajectory has already forced some practices to reduce their hours and lay off support staff while pushing others to the brink of closure. The fact that losses could have been worse this year misses the point. 
physicians shouldn't have to face these annual financial cliffhangers year after year. We shouldn't have to worry if our practices will survive another year because of payment cuts that are beyond our control. As with all other issues in healthcare, it's our patients who suffer the most. Patients lose access to vital care when a physician practice closes or has to reduce its hours. We'll discuss these and other issues in greater depth, and we'll also highlight next steps in our advocacy work for this year. Joining today are AMA experts as we talk about advocacy and the macro and micro. From what it's like to be a physician leader at this difficult time for medicine, to what our on-the-ground activities look like as we seek to inform and educate lawmakers on issues and ultimately influence their policy positions. Our first panelist is our AMA president, Dr. Jack Resnick, the public face and the voice of our AMA on these issues and so many more. Dr. Resnick has been an AMA trustee since 2014. He's a nationally recognized leader in health policy and also in dermatology. Dr. Resnick, if it's okay with you, we're going to go by first names today. So welcome, Jack. Thanks, Sandy. And uh, you can definitely call me Jack. And Jason Marino, AMA's Director of Congressional Affairs. In this role, Jason's responsible for lobbying Congress on AMA's federal advocacy priorities. Jason's a strong and passionate advocate of AMA policy, and I love to hear his story. So welcome back, Jason. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Let's get started, and here's the plan. I'll begin with some questions for each of you to set the stage. Then we'll move to questions, but before we take a deeper dive into some of these issues, let's begin with some words of wisdom from our AMA president. So Jack, we'll start with you. Please explain why our physician voices are so critical in advocacy. We'd also love to hear about some of your experiences as AMA's top physician leader. Well, Sandy, thanks for the question and thank you for your leadership as board chair. Also really appreciate your mentioning in your opening remarks, critical issues like Medicare payment reform, which are under the umbrella of our recovery plan for America's physicians. These are issues which are such enormous threats to physicians and our patients, and issues on which AMA is really so focused in partnership, of course, with state medical societies across the country and national specialty societies as well. You asked about individual voices, and, and they really are critical to humanize our priorities and to add stories that can be more than just statistics as we talk with lawmakers. I know probably have a variety of experience levels in terms of uh, people coming to Capitol Hill and talking to their lawmakers and also doing the same in their districts. I just think that's even more true right now in terms of the importance of our own voices. This year, one of the things that has me deeply worried and that I've really used as an organizing principle for a lot of my thinking around what needs to happen is, is this issue of physician burnout. And we know the stats about the soaring numbers. You probably all heard that burnout symptoms among physicians uh, jumped from about 38% to 63% in the last couple of years, that one in five physicians are seriously considering retirement in the next two years. And that does leave me worried we know what drives these statistics. We know that there's fallout from the pandemic. We know that there are growing administrative burdens like prior auth. We know that there are states trying to interfere in the doctor-patient relationship. We know that there are threats to practices like falling Medicare payment at this time of major inflation. And the answer really doesn't lie in just telling physicians to buck up and be more resilient or do more yoga. 
wellness is important, but but the real answers lie in getting those systemic burdens out of the way so we can get back to what drew us all to medicine in the first place. So as I said at interim, we need to fix what's broken in healthcare, and it's it's not the doctor. So when I'm talking with a policymaker, whether it's about Medicare payment or prior auth or scope creep or anything else, I keep coming back to that framing and and largely they get it. They know physicians have put their lives on the line this last three years. They understand inflation. And, and frankly, most of them have been the victims themselves of some out of control prior auth thing from a health plan. So I think it's, it is really helpful to bring our stories. I think all that is so true, Jack. And as a follow-up, uh, I want to ask you this. With the political divides across our country, what are some unifying themes that you've had success with on your various visits on the Hill? It's a good question. Uh, you know, the last several years have no doubt been a, a somewhat politically fractured time in our nation. And as I think about our work as the American Medical Association, it used to be such a small percentage of what we worked on got politicized or viewed through partisan lenses. And as we saw with COVID prevention or vaccines now, such a big percentage of what we do ends up seen through those lenses. And no doubt that does present a challenge as we try to message our policies and our priorities but we're not a partisan organization. And, and I work hard to hammer that point home whenever I'm with policymakers. We're here, we're here to advance the health of the nation. And I'm gonna work with anybody, anytime of any party, if there's an opportunity to align with RIMA policy and, and help physicians and help patients. So sure, any individual policymaker, you're gonna run into, just as you would with any physician, some individual policy of AMA that maybe they don't agree with. But I really try to focus on our policymaking process and make sure they understand that and why we speak for the profession and that our policy is not just made up by me or you or our board or our management team. I talk about that House of Delegates where we really gather physicians representing every state medical association, every national specialty society from urban areas and rural areas and docs in tiny independent practices and employed in huge settings and across the political spectrum. And then we have open science-based debate that really clears the air and I think allows me in a meeting with a member of Congress or anybody else to focus on our policy priorities and the shared goals that, that we might have with that lawmaker. Jack, thank you so much for sharing those experiences and your insight. And you've worked so hard for us this year and are continuing to work uh, hard as well. There's there's many more months to go before, um, before we're going to let you off the hook as being our AMA president. Medicine doesn't stand still, and at the AMA, neither do we. AMA members are physicians like you who are shaping the future of medicine. Become a member today and join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash movingmedicine. Uh, Jason, this next question's for you. Can you give us a sense of the congressional landscape? where it stands now, and what we can expect in the year to come. Sure. Well, at the beginning of every new Congress, who controls C-SPAN staff get to control where the cameras go, not the speaker. Until you get a speaker, C-SPAN staff gets to control, because usually when there's a speaker, they make it focus on whoever's speaking at the time, and they want to keep it boring. But when this Congress started, we had an historic 15 votes to get a new speaker. And you can see all the side conversations, and whoever thought that a C-SPAN 2 viewing would have higher ratings than a Georgia football game. But that's kind of what the country saw. And I, I and that's how we've begun the 118th Congress. It's taken about a month to get the Senate organized just with committees, et cetera. So it's a slow start. And I'll, I'll say big picture, 
the zeitgeist of the moment has changed. The 117th Congress was was COVID, was was uh, bipartisan trillion dollar bipartisan bills on infrastructure, on COVID related, and then a series of partisan bills, a trillion dollars a piece on some of the uh, ruling party's major uh, priorities. And and now here we are in 118th Congress with now divided government, and the conversation has changed to we're in a time of historic inflation. And we have a debt limit that we're now under extraordinary measures. The we're under extraordinary measures because of the debt limit, which is 31.4 trillion, and it's got to get increased. And and with the extraordinary measures may last until June, and then it's the moment of truth. Well, what happens? And the divide is on the Republican majority side. Hey, we got to do something about this debt. We got to try and balance the government, the government in 10 years, the budget in 10 years. Uh, we, we have to stop the $2.4 trillion deficits. On the Democratic side, it's, well, we already spent this money and we just got to pay our obligations and we shouldn't be cutting Social Security and Medicare to do any of this stuff. And so and then you have the counter, well, we're not going to touch Medicare and Social Security. And it, it's high stakes and it reflects the, the divide in this country. We, we're a very divided country and the constituents are telling their members, you've got to hold the line here on both sides. And so the, the members are we're in this dance where they're trying to negotiate or not on the debt limit and the deficit. And so in this environment of divided government and, and people have staked some lines out here now, uh, things that need to get done are appropriation bills, usually towards the end of the year. And there's been shutdowns in the past when there's divided government and you have these big debt limit debates. Sometimes the funding bills for the federal government don't work out by the October 1st deadline each year. And there's sometimes a temporary delay or not. We don't know if we're headed to that. There's always a defense bill that has to get done. There's, it's always gotten done for 50 plus years. There's a farm bill that's usually bipartisan. Uh, that needs to get done. And now with the China balloon, there's probably something on China. So so that's that's out there. And then where do everyone else fit in? Other priorities and especially priorities that 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 spend money. And so uh, you always hear about it's the worst climate ever in Congress. It's well, this is this really is one of the worst climates ever, and it's not an exaggeration. Wow. Thanks for setting the stage as to what you're dealing with on the Hill right now. But I've got one more question for you, Jason, before I let you go. Can you talk about some of the issues that will be addressed and why they're so important? The three big issues we're going to talk about are Medicare physician payment reform. We're going to talk about the scope of practice issues and scope creep, as Dr. Renzik mentioned, scope creep. And then we're going to talk about physician workforce mm -hmm. issues. But I want to spend most of my time right now on the, the real big one, the real big issue is the Medicare physician payment reform. And, and where we go in this new 108th Congress. I just I just painted a picture of how difficult it is. And we do have, a, I'm gonna lay out a four point plan, four point plan to reform the Medicare physician payment system. And it starts with diagnosing the problem of what is wrong with, with Medicare payment system with MACRA. That's, that's the governing, the bill that governs the program for Medicare payment system. And you don't need chat GPT or AI to tell you What's wrong with the problem? It's there's no inflationary update at all. The last 20 years, because of that, it's been a 22% real dollar decline when you adjust for inflation. We're in a time of historic inflation and going forward, it's going to be 0.25, not 2.5, 0.25. That's not, that's laughable. That's not, that's how do you pay your staff? How do you innovate? How do you go forward with that? So that's a big issue right there. That's kind of right. And other providers all have it in statute. They have an update. So we got to get that fixed. The second part is alternative payment models. They have a lot of promise, you know, new innovative models for care. There was a there's incentive payments to help these come online. 
And unfortunately in 2015, when MACRA passed, the promise of all these APMs that come online for all different specialties, uh, all different types, and, and they were gonna be promising and save money and it would be a win-win. It didn't really happen. It happened somewhat in the ACO, uh, accountable care organizations that came online that, that have had some success. It just hasn't been as broad as we'd like. And all of those bonuses are all going away, the, these incentive payments. And we gotta get those incentive payments continued and find a way to keep the pipeline going so there's new APMs for every physician of all types. That's important. Then the third is the MIPS program. Right now, because of COVID, it's kind of been on pause, but it's kind of like a Hunger Games in that you get a MIPS score. And then if you don't get a good, if you get a good score, you might get a little bit of bump up. If you get a bad score, you get cut. And it's a zero sum game. And there's winners and losers. It's not always the fairest system. It's been on pause. So people haven't really, physicians haven't felt it fully yet. And then there's quality metrics that are they really the right metrics? Are they, are you checking boxes? Or are you really, innovating and the CMS, they have it right. And, and, and there's a lot of questions there and a lot of room to reform that and make it work better. And then finally, why do we have these cliffhangers every year? What's going on? You probably wonder. And it's every year, there's a physician payment rule that comes out and they, they can modify payment. Like they increased um, payments for E&M services. But when you, every time you increase it somewhere, you do an across the board cut to every service to pay for it. Cause it has to be done in what's called a budget neutral way. And it, and this has been happening and it's been triggering significant cuts for non-E&M services. And we've been trying, and we've gotten some success in the last few years to get some amelioration to get those cuts addressed. But we're hearing from Congress, no, that we, that's, that's it. We're not gonna, we're in the business of dealing with this every year. And we're saying, well, let's fix it then. Let's fix the budget neutrality problem. Let's go from 20 million that, that was written in 1989, probably in some late night um, deal for the OBRA bill, some big bill they put together in the late 80s. And it's 20 million never gotten never got updated to inflation. It should be 100 million. Let's make it 100 million. Things like dental new codes, maybe that deal with dental or things that are non-physician related. Why is that triggering budget neutrality for all physician services? Doesn't make any sense. Let's stop that. And then let's find a way. Historically, CMS when they you, when they estimate a new service, they tend to overestimate, and then it triggers bigger cuts than are necessary. And they never they never look back. It's just the cut is built in, and oh well, you move everyone moves on except those who got cut. They have to live with that cut. We can fix that. In a, in a way, it doesn't cost a lot of money. So those are four things that um, could be done to fix. And we have the template we've written um, in the last Congress. We respond to RFIs and a lot of, we work with the, um, all the specialty groups and all the states to develop feedback. We have the template for everything I just said to fix macro. So that's the first point. It's just diagnosing the problem and getting people to realize this is a problem. The second is, is, is how do you get 60 members, 60 senators, and for at least 218 members of the House to pass a bill to fix it. How do you do that? How do you make that happen? And it's not so simple. And it starts with, as we talked earlier, about educating members of Congress. And one big um, mistake I think a lot of people make when they first come to the Hill that aren't that don't do this every day because you're too busy saving lives and you, and you focus on the Hill and you come to the Hill and you think that everyone knows more than they really do. I mean, my own personal history, I'm, I'm 25 years old and I'm studying romantic love at Yale with a professor who's a famous love theorist. And then I fell in love with someone and I didn't want to research anymore. And with a year later, a year later, I'm working as a top health advisor for the chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee. And I'm, I'm, in, I'm dealing with NIH budget. I'm dealing with AMA meetings. My boss just says, I don't like healthcare. It's complicated. I trust you. And, and I think I know it all. And I'm, I got some real power and I'm, I don't know anything about what I don't know. And, and that's how a lot of the hill is. It's people that are from all walks, they're a lot of in their 20s. They think they know it all. 
they, they're really they're smart folks, but they they um they have a lot of power that you wouldn't realize, and they don't understand things like what's the budget neutrality, what's macro from 2015. I was still in elementary school. I mean, they you it and the, and they it turn over a lot. They switch offices, and so they don't know a lot, and that's why you have to keep coming. That's why we have the NAC. So you come and we talk about it, and you go to the hill, and you and you and you um, educate members and the staff over and over and over again, and and don't assume the knowledge. And then the uh, third point part of the plan is we got to have some committee hearings. We asked in last Congress for hearings that never happened. This Congress we need hearings where you have the key committees and they focus and you do a deep dive, and and you have people like us that testify and say, hey, this is where it's broken. And you have real world examples. This is how it hurts patient care, and you kind of you get that messaging out. And you get the committee staff who write some of the bills to really focus on it. And another thing is, no one's just going to drop a bill to fix the whole thing. It's kind of it's too big and complicated. But you can take pieces, like I mentioned, on the update. Someone could drop a bill to give an MEI inflationary update. Someone could drop a bill on the APM side to fix that. Someone can fix budget neutrality. You get different bills, then you do a co-sponsorship keeping around those bills, and you drive support throughout the whole Congress, and and you use that to kind of as a proxy for where people are. Hey, why, why aren't you sponsoring the bill? Jump on that. So that's those are things that we hope. And then the fourth point, final point, is the the tortoise and the hare play, in that it goes back to you got to keep educating, you got to play the long game, you got to stay focused on the issue and try not to divert too much, and and you got to wear them down. This is one of those issues where it might take it the whole Congress, but you got to wear members down over and over. They keep thinking, oh God, I got to meet with Dr. Resnick, Dr. Firehopper again. What am I going to say? They met with me six months ago. We haven't done anything. You got to put make them hold them accountable, members of Congress. And so, um, and that, that race ended well. I'm the tortoise one because he played the long game. So that, that's kind of the four points on that. And then briefly, I'll just mention the other issues on, on scope. And scope of practice is one of those where it's the horse and the hares in, in reverse, where we could be the hare and that the, 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 our allied friends and the allied professionals are the tortoise and they're, they're trying to expand scope in any way they can. And they've dropped several bills there's a big one they dropped called the ICANN, and it brings in a lot of different outfreshals in one bill, one big mega scope bill called the ICANN. And we're saying we can't. Like there's a reason that you went to medical school and the training, there's a difference. And the physician-led teams are, are what the patients want. And so it's for the best for the patients and the outcomes. And, and we have and we'll talk about some of the research that shows that um, some of our allied professional friends can be more costly and not as effective in delivery of care. So we're that's something we're going to bring up and we're at, we're vulnerable on that because now I mentioned this environment where they're not going to spend much money. Some, the way it's framed is look, there's a shortage of, 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 of access to access to healthcare issues, a shortage of physicians and, and we need more people. And why don't these, these professionals want to come and serve these patients. And you know what? It's just removing red tape. It just, it doesn't cost anything. CBO, professional budget office won't score it. it may even be a saver. And so this makes sense. And you can get a bipartisan, support for that. And so we have to counter that. And, and they only have to get once, you know, get one of the bills passed and they kind of build from that. That's the game. And they, and a lot of the groups are focused on just scope issues, not our breadth of issues. Curated from more than 3,000 major newspapers, magazines, and journals, the AMA Morning Rounds newsletter delivers the top stories in healthcare right to your inbox Monday through Friday. Subscribe today and check out all the AMA's free newsletters at ama-assn.org slash myinbox. 
That's ama-assn.org slash myinbox. And then finally, we do have an answer on scope. It's workforce. It's it's a bill called the Residency Physician Reduction Act. We need more resident medical residency slots. This bill would have 14,000. Used to be 15,000 because two years ago, we got 1,000 slots and most in 25 years, 1,000 new slots. And then the last December, we got a bill that um, 200 slots for psychiatry and, and psychiatric subspecialties. So we're making progress and we want to build on that. We want more slots. We're not going to get all 14,000 at one time, but we'll take them as they come. And it's important. And we have a, there's a bill out there that would create a thousand new slots to deal with the opioid and, and substance abuse disorder uh, um, uh, training. So that, that's out there. And then finally, uh, on Conrad 30 is a program that um, physicians who come, IMG physicians who do their medical training in the US, there's a rule that if they're on a J1 visa, they have to go back to their home country for two years. Well, if they serve in a rural area for three years, they can be exempt from that that requirement to go return to their home country for two years. And it's a win-win, 30 slots for each state. There's a bill to increase those slots since it's so popular. And there's also a provision in that bill that says if you're a physician um, who serves five years, IMG physician in an uninsured community, then you can be eligible to be exempt from the green card cap. Because we all know that the current per country green card cap has led to many physicians who couldn't sum from India, 40 year plus wait list. And this would make you exempt. So win-win doesn't cost the money. Government anything is a win for the IMG physician, is a win for their patients, a win for their community. Uh, it's if there's a larger immigration bill, which we can't control the politics of that, this is ready to go. And we just a matter of keeping people on the hill educated. This is a solution. This is one one solution to the workforce. And we always love it when the doctors and the physicians come to town to, to go to the hill and, and help us out. Well, Jason, you've had a lot on your plate, and it sounds like you're just going at this at so many different angles. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for all of your hard work. And I, I keep thinking about that graph of, of physician payment when when physician payment goes down and everybody else's payment over the last few years goes up because they do have those inflationary updates. But thanks for that great description of all those different steps that, that we're taking uh, the AMA's leading to help uh, physicians and our patients. Thank you and have a great rest of your day. I'm Dr. Sandra Freyhofer. Don't miss part two of this conversation. Subscribe to the Moving Medicine podcast anywhere you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.